Hello and welcome to the Behind the Wheel podcast, the culmination and brainchild of my own love for cars, but also my determination to ensure that nobody ever goes to what I've been through. That is hating their nine to five and living only for the weekends. I am so, so excited to have another woman on the podcast who is absolutely smashing it in the car space. Lara Nichols is a young female business owner making her mark in the automotive industry, having worked for the likes of McLaren Special Operations and Porsche Retail Group. Lara possesses this kind of distinct affection for horsepower in all forms. In 2021, Lara became director of the family founded Ashley Nichols Sport and Classic Limited with a continued focus on success and growth. She really hopes to create a relaxed, inclusive environment free from the preconceived stereotypes attached to used car sales. She has built this amazingly successful ever so fulfilling career as a direct result almost of actually being made redundant from her job and I know many many people were made redundant during COVID-19 or have been at some point in their career and what Lara demonstrates every single day is that no matter what kind of um, trauma or horrible life event or you know um, things just not working out the way you want it to work out Despite that happening in your life, you can still rise up and build something super, super successful for yourself. So sit back, enjoy this one, and uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments later on. I felt like saying, God, give me some better advice than that. Um, but, yeah. but here I am, sat here eight months later after handing my notice in, thinking, thank God I did it, you know think it's quite good to be strict with yourself and have it doesn't have to always be routine driven but just have some little like non-negotiables that you're um you won't sort of sacrifice for your own mental space it's such a pleasure to have uh, someone like yourself lara on this podcast it is so so great to have you welcome thank you thanks very much no, it's absolutely my pleasure. Um, I guess, Laura, first thing is first. Um, I guess for those who might not know who you are, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. So obviously, my name is Lara. I'm director of Ashley Nichols Sport and Classic, uh, which is a, a small family run business that I run with my father. Uh, we, we source and sell classic and sports cars. Um, and yeah, I've been doing that not too long. I started last year. Uh, but before that, you know, I have a history of uh, cars and uh, a huge passion for cars. Worked for Porsche uh, and then worked for McLaren Special Operations. So I have always had a huge um, interest and passion for everything sort of horsepower. And uh, yeah, sort of finally took the leap and took the courage to to go and do my own thing and, and be self-employed. And, and yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. It was something that I almost wish I had done sooner, but without the sort of previous um, preparation and experience in other roles, I don't think I could uh, could have done it so quickly. Where does where does your love for cars come from, Lara? 
Good question. And this is something that I actually thought about before we came on here, because I thought you might ask me this. Um, as a kid, my grandfather owned a Jaguar E-Type that he bought new in the 1970s. Wow. And he he had it all his life. He sadly passed away in 2014, but he, he kept it throughout his life. And growing up, I would nag my dad to take me around to grand and granddad's just so that I could go out on the e-type and every weekend was spent in that car and the smell of like old leather and petrol will, will stay with me forever and um yeah. I I loved the way that it made me feel I loved the noise of the engine I loved everything about it obviously I, I wasn't driving it because I was about six but the way that people like would turn their heads and have a conversation with you at a petrol station about it and how much they loved the e-type it's quite an iconic car um and that sort of ingrained in my memory forever. And I think that's probably where it came from. Um, and yeah, I'll I'll be forever grateful to Grandad for getting me into this passion. Yeah, it's, I mean, every every person has their own sort of story for their passion and how it will start. But, <laughs> I mean, every person I speak to has a, has a different story. I mean, me, me personally, I remember um, growing up in London and um, I my, my brother would take me on the big rubble the big red double-decker buses and we'd go to the top and yeah. I would sit there on his lap and I would like watch all the cars going past and I think I, I think I was about maybe like eight or nine maybe even younger I could like name every single uh, every single car manufacturer that made that car but also the model yeah. as well and I just remember like having so much fun with that and um yeah throughout my life I've kind of just always kind of had this huge huge love for cars um more because it's how it makes you feel right i mean you mentioned there about the the feeling of getting into a car the smell the sound um there is almost a kind of a a, a, an addictiveness to it when you when you get into it right oh oh definitely and i see an e-type on the road now and it 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 honestly chokes me up it makes me really emotional um they they give you such a feeling and that's something that you'll never forget and although yes we sell modern cars as well I'll always have a little bit of a soft spot for a classic car and just you know no driver aids nothing to sort of help you just literally just raw horsepower it's you the wheel and and you know three pedals if it's manual but um yeah I think without that you know have maybe having a little bit of a tough time growing up at school weekends were always spent in the car and it, it never really mattered what was going on outside of that because it's just you my granddad or, or my father just you know having a nice time and it was always cars that sort of brought everybody together so yeah definitely yeah it's definitely that's amazing. where it came that's from amazing. um tell us a little bit about kind of the I mean it's 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 obviously a massive step for anyone to kind of leave the stability and the financial security associated with you know, having a stable job, right? And um, it's obviously a massive decision, or I guess in my head, it's a massive decision to kind of say, right, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something that's perhaps a little, possibly less, less stable, um, but I guess very, very enjoyable. I guess. Um, does, tell us a little bit about that kind of um, that journey of your life from going from, I guess, you know, being um, having a kind of stability to, I guess, now, you know, being where you are right now. Yeah, it was something that definitely didn't come easily. And it's something that I deliberated over for years beforehand. Um, I always thought I wanted to be a photographer. 
Uh, it never quite worked out that way. I, I realized pretty quickly that you have to have quite a lot of money to get the equipment behind being a photographer with the lenses and lighting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so then, you know, took a, a normal job and got into that uh, hamster wheel of, as you say, being paid paycheck by paycheck, uh, the security of being employed, managed to find my niche in terms of sales and cars. And I was loving the fact that I was working in something that I was passionate about. But I always had this sort of this little something that told me that I should be doing it myself or like, you know, I'd I'd work for a a big brand such as Porsche. And I think there's there's a way that I can make this better. Um, When you work for a big organization, everything's quite clinical. And I hated that. I always wanted to be personable and, you know, intimate with my customer. I wanted to, I wanted it to be a real sort of like personalized experience. Um, and that's something that I found quite difficult working for a brand like Porsche. But anyway, moved to McLaren Special Operations and loved it because it was small, um, but really like niche. And you were one to one with customers. You were making literally dreams come true. Like I'd have a customer say to me, uh, I want Stingray leather on my speed tail. And I'd say, no problem. I'm going to find a speed to, a, a wow. Stingray leather manufacturer and put it into their car. And you would just make oh people's dreams become a reality. And that was such a cool job for me. Um, but then COVID hit and I was made redundant, sadly, uh, which was horrible because I really loved the job. I loved the team and I felt like I really found my space. Um, and then that niggling thought of you should do your own thing started coming back. My father was obviously running this business on his own, uh, a one man band, and he was getting increasingly busier and he was nagging me saying, Lara, I could really do with your help. You know, I want you to come and join me. Why don't you, you know, why don't you come and work for me? And I said to him, I will never work for you. I will only work with you. I don't want to be an employee of the business. Wow. If I come in, I, I want I want to be a director and I, I, at that stage, I didn't feel ready. Um, so I, I took a job at a auction house working for cars, but working with cars still. Um, and it was a long commute. It was fine, but I knew that I was, I wasn't passionate about the job. And, uh, I got into a bit of a, a rut because I think it's quite difficult when you know what you should do, but you're not doing it. It, it puts you in a, in a funny, like mental space. And I was mm. speaking to a performance coach actually and, and she said to me, she sort of, she laid it all out and she was just looking at me like, why aren't you doing it? Just, just do it sort of thing. And it's, it's so hard when you, as you say, you've got that security of a paycheck and, you know, you've got all sorts of employee rights, you know, maybe you've got private healthcare as a perk, a company car or whatever, and you've got to wave all of that goodbye. Um, but I remember like saying to my employer that I was going to leave and I was going to go and join the family business. and it was so nerve wracking, but I'm, yeah, I look back on it thinking, thank God it's, um, yeah, it's been a tricky, don't get me wrong, a tricky, but incredible eight months. That's just amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, you mentioned there, and this is, this is really important to me. I think often in our life, we, we, we know what we need to do, but we don't do it. Right. And there's that gap, isn't there? I mean, that that applies to both, you know, training in terms of, you know, or, or, or you know, going to the gym. You know, we know that we should go to the gym or we know we know, we know that we, we, we should eat healthy or we know we know we should spend more time at home with our family or whatever it is. Right. But we don't do it. And I guess just just talk us a little bit more about that in terms of, 
you know, what was it that was preventing you from kind of taking that step between, you know, knowing what you should be doing and then doing it and how you kind of overcame that kind of um, thought process, if you like. Yeah, I think you always wait for the perfect time. And I felt like I kept saying to myself, it's not now, but it will be soon. Like some, so I was expecting this big light bulb moment of Eureka, you know, now's the time. This is when you should go Mm -hmm. and do it. But the way that the world works, that never happens. You've just got to take a little bit of a leap of faith. And actually, as I was saying in the, in the job before I became self-employed, I had quite a long commute and I would listen to podcasts, uh, with, with people that I found really inspirational because it was just a good way of of killing two hours in a productive way um, so I'd listened to all of these podcasts of people that I really looked up to who had done what I wanted to do and every time they would say something like oh well you know it never became obvious I just had to take the leap of faith and I thought that's just not good advice that's you know that doesn't help me I don't really know how to I don't know how to structure that into something tangible for me to work on um, but everybody would say, you know, as soon as you do it, you won't look back. It'll be the best thing you've ever done, et cetera, et cetera. It'll be really difficult, but it'll be really re- rewarding. Um, and, and I just sort of thought, like, I don't really know what the moment was, but I just thought I can't do this commute anymore. My father is busy. He's obviously got the work. So why don't I just go for it? What's the worst that can happen? I think when you put it into context of like, what is actually the worst that could happen? It makes you realize that if it goes wrong, that's fine. At least you've tried. Um, and inevitably it won't go wrong. And you'll look back on it and think, thank God I made that decision. You know what? Every every single person that I've spoken and I've done about 30 of these interviews says those words. Think about what the worst know, could and happen. And... It's yeah, like it's, I mean, that. That can't be. It, it can't be a coincidence that you just said that as well. Because I think when you put it in that yeah. kind of context, right? What is the worst that could happen, right? Um, you know, it, it actually seems not not small, but actually it kind of contextualizes things and makes you realize that actually, you know what? Exactly. It might not be as bad as as my head is telling me it is. Yeah, I mean, we always have a habit of dramatizing certain things and it is it's human nature to to want to be comfortable um but the you know, you have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone at some point otherwise you're never going to progress. And I did find it really frustrating that everybody that I listened to would say that and I I felt like saying god give me some better advice than that. Um but yeah. but here I am sat here eight months later after handing my notice in thinking, thank God I did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, just, just looking back on it, Laura, do you ever feel like, um, uh, cause, cause I often have this debate with people in terms of not a debate, but there's a conversation about, okay, Mo, I get what you're saying. Do what I love doing. Right. But I've got a mortgage. I've got kids. I've got a wife. I've got all these bills to pay, you know, um, do I either just drop my job tomorrow and launch into it or do I kind of gradually move into that space? What would be your advice for those people that are kind of battling between those two kind of choices? Because I guess, mm. I guess um, there's, there's, there is always two ways of, of, of going about it, right? 
Yeah, I guess you can either have the job that that allows you to live the lifestyle that you want, but doesn't make you happy, or you can have the best of both worlds and have a job that fulfills you and, and therefore you make a living out of it. And I think that's what you should strive for if you're that way inclined. I think if you want to work hard in in a office job that you're not passionate passionate about, but it pays you extremely well, then that's also fine. And there's no judgment there. But if you've got that hankering feeling, and you'll know when you have, because it's an idea that you keep coming back to, then you should always try to pursue that. And I don't think ditching everything is is correct. I think a gradual step is is always better. For me, I was quite lucky, you know, I had my weekends where I could go and um, spend some time with dad in the business in the showroom. I was familiar with the setup. My father had been running the business since I was growing up. So I sort of knew it was it was familiar. Um, but if it's something that you're, you know, you want to take a bit of a leap of faith with, I'm sure everybody's busy, but I'm sure you have a few hours a week that you can dedicate to setting up a business on the side or or trying to get as much information in that field as you can to best equip yourself so that when you are ready to take that leap it's not quite so daunting often often speak to young people i'm always saying to them you know the this this time right now like this this the last five years maybe a little bit longer it's such an amazing time because it's so easy to put yourself out there and it's so easy to kind of take your little passion and and turn it into something i mean like the the route to market is so much more cheaper than it was say 10, 15 years ago, you can create an Instagram account for free. You can, you can join yeah. Facebook groups for free. You can, you can make yeah. YouTube videos about your passion for free. And you can actually just delve into things in a much more um, cost efficient way than I suppose anyone used to maybe all those years ago. Yeah. And I think you also find that people tend to do exactly what you've just said and then they find that their side job becomes so busy that they are then forced in this into this situation of like, do I stay in my day job or do I fulfill this little side business that I've been working on on weekends and evenings that's now become so busy that I have to make a decision? And I think that's a much easier transition. It's never going to be easy, but it's a much smoother transition to do that than it is to say, right, I'm handing my notice in and I'm starting from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Where does your... um your your desire i mean you mentioned there about the fact that you 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 didn't want to be an employee you wanted to kind of be a director right and and the, that was the condition if you like for 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 joining um where does that come from this this kind of desire to want to be your own to to be to be a leader to kind of i suppose um you know paint the color in the way you want to paint it and 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 kind of define your own destiny where does that kind of come from? I think I was always a bit scared of being Ashley Nichols's daughter. I never wanted to be that, you know, you're in that position because of your father. Um, and in some ways I am, you know, I am in that position because of dad. Of course I am. But uh, I wanted to make sure that I had my own experience, my own knowledge and, and different aspects and attributes that I could bring to the table that he couldn't. Um and I think that way, you know, we're a bit of a yin and yang. He is very old school, very, you know, um, set in his ways in the way that he does business. He still writes in a black book with, you know, customer details and stuff, just writes them in yeah. pen and paper. He doesn't use 
computers. He doesn't know what Instagram is. He will never listen to this podcast, for example. Um, <laughs> and that's where his, his, uh, that that was then holding him back where where he was you know he was a one man band and he was busy enough for himself but to take it to that next level it did need to be a little bit more modern into the 21st century and um yeah i never wanted to just come in and work for him that that was never the idea i always wanted to try and carry on the family name if i can and you know as and when he retires when he's ready I need to be in a position where I can continue to grow that company and and adapt to change and not be afraid of, you know, being stuck in my ways. I have to learn to be adaptable. One of the things that I was talking to Mark about actually, and it, it seems it seems this is quite relevant to to what you do as well, which is, you know, running a business with family, right? And it's it's amazing how I mean running a business with family has so much negativity attached to it and so much kind of like you know um you know people say oh you know you can't make it work you can't you can't you know you can't have a personal relationship and 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 make work work right you know um you know it's just it's just a recipe for disaster right and you know one of the things that i really loved about mark is the relationship he has with his family and how he's made that work and it sounds like you've sort of made it work as well for you Talk us through a little bit about that, what the relationship is like and um, how you've kind of, what your sort of advice is for people who are either thinking about going into a partnership with their family um, uh, or are in that situation where the lines are becoming perhaps a little bit blurred and, you know, what's happening in the business is now creeping into the dinner table and causing problems. What would be your sort of thoughts on that? I think my my first thing, seeing as I got a text message from my father at half six this morning, saying to me that he was up doing a description for a car. Uh, the, the one thing I will say to people is that it is it isn't easy. Of course, it isn't. But um, much like Mark, you know, family relationships and and business can go hand in hand. And I think I'd much rather have a business partner that that is you know, my, my father or my family relative than somebody that is my friend. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and yes, we have, uh, disagreements, but we are fundamentally best friends and we always have been ever since I was a, a, you know, teeny tiny kid. I wanted to be with dad everywhere. If he was going shooting or, fishing or I don't know whatever squash used to play squash you know I would always want to come with him um and nothing's changed really you know I still he's such he he's always got my best interests at heart and and that's something that I think when you go into business with a with a friend or or an acquaintance you you're they've obviously got their best interests at heart but when it's a family knit unit you're just trying to you know keep everything together and keep everything happy and it you'll always face difficulty, but it's communication. And I think one of the biggest um, reservations I had of going into this business with dad is that I didn't want to lose my dad. I didn't want my dad to become mm. a business partner. I didn't want to mm. lose that relationship with him. And it's something that I deliberated for a long time thinking, am I willing to sacrifice the relationship with my dad to go into business? But actually, as it's transpired, we have a good way of balancing both when we're in the office and we're in the showroom, you know, it, it's, it's business when we're at home, 
or when we spend time together outside of work, we're family and we're quite strict on that. Uh, and I think it's communication, wow. you know, if he, if he says something that, if he says something that annoys me, I will say, and he'll tell me exactly when I'm, you know, pushing his buttons like I do when I start, you know, pissing him off, he'll, he'll tell me. And, and it's just about communication and knowing what you can, what, what where the boundaries are, I guess. You know, I never, Lara, I never ever thought about that point just made about the um, losing your father in the process of becoming a business partner or losing your wife as a result of partnering up with someone. And that's such a key point. I never thought about that, but that was obviously a real a real concern for you. Is that is that right? Oh, massively. Like my dad has always been one of my best mates and I didn't want that to go when I took directorship. I I was terrified of losing it. Um, as it turns out, I haven't lost it at all. It's just the, the dynamic changes a little bit when we're at work and, and that's it. And it's the same, you know, I, I saw the success that Mark had had with his father and thought, well, if he can do it, at least I've got somebody that I can pick up the phone to and say, Mark, dad's really pissing me off today. You know, how do I manage this? Because how do you manage that? And um, yeah, he's been a great help. And and it's, yeah, it's talking to friends, talking to people that you you trust and that you know you can go to for good advice. And um, yeah, that was probably my biggest fear was losing that relationship with my dad. Or as you say, you know, your wife or or your best mate, what, whoever it is, you've got to, you've got to think about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, you, you mentioned there's something really practical that people can do, which is have very clear kind of lines of, you know, um, you know, when you switch off, right? You know, out of the office, you're my dad, or you're my friend, or you're my wife. But in the office, we are partners. Um, are there sort of other like sort of practical things that you've kind of learned along the way to kind of make things work? I think for me. I, if I feel like something is niggling me, I need to talk about it and I try and just air it because I feel like that's the best way for me to deal with it personally. Um, taking some time out, you know, going for a walk as, as silly as it sounds. If I feel a bit stressed, I will just take 10 minutes out of the day, go and have a walk, uh, you know, go and see the horse or, or walk the dog or something and just take some time out. I think it can be a bit of a pressure pot if you don't allow yourself that time to just decompress a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think taking that time out to sort of de-stress, but also speaking to people and, and constantly communicating with people that you trust, uh, just to bounce ideas off or just say, I'm feeling this way. Have you experienced it? Um, but I also have worked very closely with, um, a, a you know a performance coach who has really helped me manage those things as well and just give you like little techniques to to make things a little bit more manageable yeah i've i've got performance coach as well uh, and i think i think it's one of the most under talked about things in entrepreneurship which is having a mentor having having coaches having people around you um i think Definitely. just kind of just on that note it'll be useful to understand you know um what things have you done to kind of keep your performance at at, at at high level? You mentioned there about taking regular time out. I don't think that's talked about enough mm -hmm. in terms of in terms of business. The importance of 
mental health, about mindfulness, about gratefulness, about meditation, all that sort of stuff. Doesn't it's always about the hustle. It's always about the kind of you know making more money and you know driving the business, opening up new offices. But there's not enough about the actual person that's running it and how they actually you know take care of themselves. Just 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 talk us through some of the kind of practical things that you do to kind of keep you you know running at a at a at a high level. I think it's individual to the person, and I think if you if you in a world of this hustle culture, if you can be twenty four seven seven days a week on it, then great. Uh, as long as you're looking after your mental health, and it's a bit of a still I, in a in an age where mental health is quite openly talked about, is still something that I have struggled to talk about, and you know put into practice with myself so I guess practically going back to your question things that I do I try and make sure that I have passions and things outside of work that I like to spend time doing when you do what you love that's fantastic but if that then means that you lose your personal space and your you know your downtime for example maybe you like to go and watch races on a weekend like I'm going to Silverstone this this afternoon um, but maybe it reminds you too much of work and therefore you're not switching off, then you find yourself in a bit of a void of having a hobby or a pastime. So, you know, I have my horses, I have a motorbike, I have other things that I like to put my attention to when I'm not focusing on work. And that's something that really helps me sort of switch off. Um, because there is always that fear that you can come home, sit on the sofa and think, ah, maybe I should just respond to that email or maybe I should do that call, but it's eight o'clock in the evening. I think it's quite good to be strict with yourself and have, it doesn't have to always be routine driven, but just have some little like non-negotiables that you're, um, you won't sort of sacrifice for your own mental space. I don't know if that makes sense. I love sense, it. But none, it yeah, sense. non-negotiables. It's something that my coach told me actually, like when I first started seeing her and she, and I was, I was thinking how like, you know, I love doing this thing that I do, which is the weekly show, but I find that work gets in the middle of it. And she's like, right, okay, that's going to be mm. a non-negotiable. That weekly show is going to happen every single Tuesday religiously. And yeah. you know, you, it just, it just won't shift. And I didn't quite appreciate the importance yeah. of it until I kind of made it my non-negotiable. And it's, it's re- it's such a good point. Um, talk us a little bit about sort of growing up and how, I mean, w- were there any sort of elements of your childhood that you feel like have contributed in a meaningful way to how you think and who you are right now? Definitely. I was not a cool kid at school. I was quite overweight, got bullied pretty severely because of my weight, but looking back on it now, I would never go back and change it because, um, the sort of pressure that the bullying put under me made, made me grow up quite quickly. Um, but also made me, you know, I spent a lot of time with the teachers. I spent a lot of time putting a lot of effort into my work and, um, I was quite academic, but obviously wasn't cool. And, and now I look back on it and think, thank God I wasn't cool because actually it, you've you've you have like survival tactics at school and I learned to be quite funny I used to try and make people laugh usually at my own expense like I'd make a a joke about myself so that people couldn't get there first Um, but actually I think it's it's translated into adult life whereby 
I'm not, I, I try not to get overwhelmed or scared into a, a situation that I'm maybe a bit apprehensive about. And I will always try and find neutral ground with someone. I think it makes you quite a good um, people pleaser and, and also a bit of a, you know, um, I find it quite, quite easy to read people, engage their, you know, their feelings or emotions. And I think that's what's helped me be a successful sales exec, I guess, at the end of the day, you know, I sell cars. So I have to find that um, neutral ground with someone and find common interests to to talk about. And I think when you've struggled with that growing up, it then becomes a strength in adult life. That is so beautiful. That is so amazing. I mean, I guess, I guess, I mean, just, I mean, I've never ever been severely bullied, but I can only imagine um, it could have gone the other way, right? In the sense that it could have led to a feeling of always worrying about what other people think of you and always looking for validation, external validation, and Mm -hmm. always kind of, um, I suppose, emotionally, mentally unstable, possibly. Um, I guess what would be useful is kind of understanding, you know, um, did you ever kind of go through a phase of like, always worrying about what other people think as a direct result of that experience. And I guess, you know, um, how you kind of got through that, if that actually happened. Yeah, I think I still worry about what people think. I think that's probably my biggest weakness, Mo, is that I I worry about it constantly, but I try not to let it affect my day-to-day. Um, I think, you know, growing up, becoming an adult, losing the weight, I then did in my like late teens try and seek that validation. You know, I drove around in a 911 at the age of 20, which was completely unnecessary, but I felt like I needed a cool car to be cool. And um, I remember selling that car and thinking, God, I've lost my identity with it. You know, I'm going to go wow. back to being that fat kid at school if I don't get a cool car. Uh, and, and then you know, two or three down, two or three years down the line, it, it twigged with me like, my God, how can you be so not shallow because it, it, it came from a good place, but I felt like I needed something cool to make me accepted within like society. I think I'm saying it a little bit, um, I'm making it sound a little bit more important than it is, but I definitely, you know, when that, when I sold that car, I did feel like there was a bit of a void in, in who I was. Like I was no longer Lara with the 9-11. I was just Lara. Like, what can I say? And I felt the same actually when I lost the job at MSO, at McLaren. Um, I was no longer Lara that worked for McLaren Special Operations. I was just Lara. And I think that's something that I've talked about a lot with my performance coach into, you know, having a little bit more self-confidence. But it's never it's never simple. And it's always something that you work towards. You just get better with dealing with it. So true. There's a there's a really good Netflix documentary um, on this um, tennis player. I can't remember her name now uh, for the life of me, but um, she um, she basically uh, played tennis from 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 a, from a very young age. You know, won Grand Slams and stuff. And um, she went through a phase of wondering if I stop playing tennis because it's not. I don't, I don't fancy it anymore. I don't, it's not, it's not what I love doing. Who will I be? Because the world knows me as 
the best women's tennis player ever. And you go through a process of wondering, well, if I get rid of that, then who am I, right? And it's, it's I'm sure, yeah, I'm your... sure, I mean, I've, I've been through it. I'm sure women go through all the time. You know, for example, like as a man, you know, um, my wife is, you know, uh, she's, uh, what, she just gave birth, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I'm now the breadwinner, right? If I lose my job, then do I lose my identity as the breadwinner, right? Uh, it's such a key point, isn't it? I think it's, mm. I think it's, um, it must be quite tough to kind of, I suppose, navigate through that. But it sounds like obviously, you know, you're, you're, we're all kind of working through that in some, in some meaningful way. Um, that's really interesting. Everybody really is winging it. Yeah, I, I think it's so important to know that everybody is winging it. It's not just you. You know, I have the, these moments where I think, God, I'm going on this podcast to talk to somebody about my life but I haven't I feel like I haven't got enough to say but I think everybody feels a little bit of imposter syndrome from time to time and you just gotta you know you just gotta remember that everybody else is asking the same questions it's not just you that's felt like that um so yeah it's it's one of those it's again trying to contextualize things and, and put things into perspective a little bit I think that's uh such an important skill to be able to take a step back and look at it from a uh another point of view Absolutely. Now, of course, I have to ask this question, and it's it's not a question that I mean, I'm, I'm trying to not draw too much light on it because then I'm kind of creating a, a bigger problem. But um, you know, being a woman, right, in a space that is, mm-hmm. you know, you could argue was traditionally, maybe not so much now, but you know, it has traditionally been kind of a, 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 a men's space, right? Just just putting it out there. Um, you know, Definitely. how did you have to that? Uh, I never thought about it, actually. I never thought about it until I was in it. Um, because, you know, with my granddad and my dad, I was never, I was never told that I couldn't do it because I was a girl. You know, I just, I just always loved mucking around with cars. And, um, I thought, you know, going into a job, I didn't, I didn't have that, uh, what's the word? I didn't have the sort of, um, preconceived idea that it was just for men. So I sort of went into it quite boldly and um, definitely learned quite quickly that it is a, a male dominated space. And I think women, if you are in the automotive industry, uh, you are asked to act in a certain way. Um, you know, I used to get a lot going down this at my old work. We used to go down these glass stairs and go and serve a customer and they would say, oh, no, um, I actually wanted to speak to someone in sales could you know I didn't want to speak to a receptionist could I speak to someone in sales and and they didn't mean it it was harmless they didn't actually mean it to be rude they just you know it's just such an ingrained idea that these sales execs that work at these big brands are all men um and if you are a woman you should be wearing high heels you should be putting on lipstick and you should be flirting your way into those sales and and I never wanted to do that I mean I'm rubbish at flirting anyway at the best of times let alone in a sales environment I just wanted to talk horsepower and you know how the car handles and let's take it out for a rip let's take it for a test drive you know I wanted to be passionate about the cars um so that is definitely a balance that I struggled with a little bit uh but you know that's another blessing of of running your own business I don't have that so much anymore it still exists you know my dad if he's at the showroom and a customer is there talking to me about you know figures or um trying to do a deal 
I do find that sometimes the attention gets drawn towards the old person sat in the corner. God, he'd hate me if I called him old, but old person sat in the corner who, you know, it's his name above the door. Uh, So people do often go to him instead of talking to me, but my father is so good at it. He always says, it's Lara that you're dealing with. You need to speak to her. Um, And it's just, you know, it's one of those things. It's, It's part of life. You can't let it annoy you too much. And I'm sure there's, you know, as I say, I have horses. That's a mainly woman's dominated in industry and you know men struggle the same as I would in a car car dealership so it swings and roundabouts it does happen everywhere but you've just got to be sensible about it I think yeah that's that, that's amazing I know um being being an entrepreneur being in business it has I mean the way that I think about it often is you have you have good days and you have bad days right you know um there's yeah. this kind of notion that every day is like super productive up at 5am, you know, it's just like, you know, nonstop and, you know, you're just smashing every single day, but you have bad days as well, right? And um, I guess what I'd love to know, and I'm sure others would love to know about this as well, is is how do you, um, what is it that kind of, what is your kind of your why? What is it that kind of, you know, get you up in the morning every single day, regardless of, you know, whether it's going to be a bad day or a good day, whether you're feeling low, whether you're feeling high, um, what is it that kind of keeps you going, you know? That is such a good question. And a question that sometimes I do sit and think to myself, like, why am I doing this? But actually, it always boils down to the fact that, you know, I, I want to be successful. I, I want to have a business that I'm proud of. I want to grow it as much as I can. Um, and I'm passionate about what I do. I I know that we deliver an incredible service to the people that walk in the door. And that for me is is what drives me, you know, seeing a customer pick up their car with a huge smile on their face driving away is is what makes us tick, both my father and I, you know, we're very aligned in that passion. Um, and, and I guess that's our why, you know. That's amazing. Um, obviously, you were, I mean, just, just, just reflecting back on your life, you know, you're obviously very fortunate to have a very good level of exposure to cars and the motors and, and the, the kind of motoring space at quite an early age. But, you know, one of the questions I get a lot from, from young people is, all right, Mo, I heard your podcast. You want us to do stuff which we love doing. You want us to kind of, you know, focus on what, on what we love and, and try and build a career around that. But you know what? I don't know what I love. I don't know what I've got a passion for. You know, um, I, I feel so bland. I feel so vanilla, you know, um, what would be your advice for kind of either young people or anyone really who's kind of they know that they're not in a job that they love doing, but they really have no idea like how to go about finding finding that thing? Yeah, again, that's a really good question. And, you know, people are fortunate to know exactly what they want to do with their life. Like if if you know exactly what your future is, then you are very blessed. But there are people, as you say, that that coast through life, not really knowing, feeling like they want to do something else, but they're, they're not sure exactly what. And I think, uh, especially if you're young, in those like formative years of, you know, late teens, early 20s, I don't think there's any harm in experimenting, you know, do a job for a year, see, you know, write down the 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 benefits of it, what you're good at, what you're not so good at, and then try and narrow it down, do different things, find out, you know, you must have something that you 
enjoy spending your time doing so try and narrow it down to a uh, a few things that you would like to achieve from your next role um and then put your focus into applying for a job that that um you know works to those strengths and if you then get that job and you you still feel like that then again do just repeat the process what am i good at in this role what am i not so good at what am i looking for in my next job um but to think that everybody has it all figured out is is false. That, that doesn't happen. I still don't have it figured out. I don't think anybody has it truly figured out. So it's such a good point. I think there is this. I mean, you know, I you know, I don't want anyone to listen to this and think that you know, you and I or anyone has got it all figured out, right? Because I think I think we're always a work in progress, right? And I think that even the question finding out what you love doing is in my head. It's 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 so much it's not in the sense of you know so you know what job to do for the long term or for the rest of Mm. your life because I think I think we're always figuring out what we love doing we're always figuring out what we've got an interest in it's 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 an ongoing process and quite frankly yeah if for example you love something and then you go and do it but then you realize actually you know it's not only for me that's fine that's okay but I think we often put this horrible judgment on ourselves right and you know think that we're failing because we did that thing and we didn't like it but actually we've just learned something new right yeah you've learned that you don't like it so that's that's a starting point you know if you go and do something yeah. and you and you don't like it that's brilliant you you can now narrow it down more so uh, it's not a failure it's just a you know it just gives you more information to play with so that the next job can be right Exactly. And I guess, I mean, even even in your case, right, it wasn't like you kind of uh, your your first job was doing what you're doing now. You kind of went through a process of trying different things and then realized that, okay, this this is this is the place to be. But I think often we see success as this kind of, you know, magical milestone that we wake up one day and just figure it out. But actually, it's the result just trying different things, failing (laughs) in some meaningful way probably quite a few times before you actually find that find that thing right which is which i think is just so so important definitely um in terms of um i guess i asked the question to all my to all my guests um and it's uh, it's related but also not so related um what does um i guess you know without being too depressing um but you know what would be your kind of what would you want your sort of legacy to be Is legacy important to you? Ah. you So it's, you know what, right? I've I've given this some thought, right? And like Mm. just reflecting on myself, right? Um, One of the things that I often battle with, and I battle with it every single day, and I'm I'm, I'm making small, small gains, but, you know, um, there's there's something that I struggle with, which, which is this fear of turning 80, and turning 90 or whatever age I turn, yeah. right? Being on my deathbed and realizing, oh crap, like what have I done, right? And I struggle with that a lot. But then on the flip side, and you just prompted it perfectly, which is actually, you know what? Like, does it really matter if if I've just lived true to myself, if I've been true to my values, if, if I've been a good person, if I've treated people well, and ultimately... Um, I've done the best I possibly could. 
doesn't really matter what the legacy is then to a certain degree, right? Yeah, I think, and this is perhaps quite a controversial thing to say, but I think to want to have a legacy is quite self-indulgent and quite cocky. I think you're right. Um, I think you're right. As you, as you just said, if you, if you live a good life, you're kind to people. You always try and do morally the right thing. Um, you know, I'll go to sleep forever peacefully. You know, I, I don't need, I want people to obviously remember me for, for the good things that I've done. Aside from that, I don't need a legacy. Um, the the only thing where I am slightly conflicted with that is with the family business. You know, that's my father's name on the top of the showroom doors, and I for him, I would want to keep that legacy going because he's such an incredible person, um, and and the business has done so well, and I would feel huge pressure to keep that legacy alive. But as for personally. No, I don't need a legacy. I just want people to remember me as, you know, a good person that did good things. That's so beautiful. Uh, I mean, I have to ask this because it's it's so linked to 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 this point, which is something that I struggle with, actually. I'm not sure I'm, I'm not sure if you do, but this kind of um, battle in my head, which is the battle between being grateful and and being thankful for everything in my life, right? But also having the desire to keep going and keep pushing for new things and for new levels and you know for the podcast growing that and and is that a struggle that you face in terms of that kind of balance between you know being grateful but also keep keep pushing for the next thing definitely I think I have gratitude when it comes to uh you know, the support network of friends and family that I have, but I definitely don't ever give myself any credit of taking a step back and going, you know, look what you've done. I I just want to get my head down and work. I just want to grow as quickly as I can and as effectively as I can and make, you know, make the business big. Um, And I think actually you're right. You should take some time out to be thankful and show some gratitude for for what you have um but that's definitely something that i haven't cracked yet yeah it's i mean i'm still dealing with it i think i think it's i think it's important to take a step back every now and then right um i think it's it's Mm. it's so hard when you're a you know when you're an entrepreneur or you know if you're in business you know um it can feel like it's just constantly you know bang 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 right you know it, it can be so so intense um Laura, I ask this question to everyone, and that is, um, what does uh, what does Laura's dream five card garage look like? Oh God, I didn't prepare for that. Um, <laughs> what would my dream five card garage look like? Um, you're really putting me on the spot now. I would have <laughs> a, I'd have my grandfather's E Type. I would go and get it. Uh, I don't know why we sold it. We should never have sold it. I'll go and buy that back. I would also have um, a McLaren F1. I would also have, I'm going to go with something silly like a Clio V6 Phase 2, because <laughs> I don't like the Phase 1s. Uh, what else would I go with? I would go for an F50 over an F40, perhaps quite controversial. And my last car... I am going to say I should probably go with something like a something four before, shouldn't I? Like a family car. 
Um, <laughs> I'm going to go for a Range Rover P38, which is the worst Range Rover they ever made, but it's the one that my father has driven for the last 15 years. So I'd have one of those. It's interesting because I think... Um, That's a weird uh, yeah. <laughs> It's really cool. Honestly, I, I love asking that because you get so many different types of answers. It's it's so interesting. Um, obviously, there's no oh, electric cars on there. You have a Porsche you... in there. What the hell? I, yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I thought you might have one in there. <laughs> no, uh, no. Scrap the P thirty eight. I'll have a um, nine eleven three point two. There we go. There we. There we go. There's no. Um, there's no electric cars on there. Are you. What, what's your take on the electric car kind of move? You'll have to push me into an electric car to drive one of those. <laughs> I'm not interested. Not interested at all. I have petrol running through my veins i will not get behind electric cars until i'm i'm absolutely forced and even then i would probably rather use my horse as a mode of transport <laughs> honestly oh god i actually share that in many ways um i think um it's the i think that the move is going to be quite it is quite sad um, and it's it's quite sad when i see you know sad. to a certain degree ferrari moving in that direction um, I thought that might be the last kind of combo, but it looks like they've made that kind of step in that direction, which is, which, which is going to be quite sad. And yeah, who knows? Who knows? How good for the environment are electric cars? Like, if we actually think about the production of the batteries and the, you know, carbon footprint of making an electric car, it'd be interesting to see just how green it is. I don't know. I just have a bad feeling about it. No, I've I, I've actually heard about this, and you're right. Um, there is there is an argument to be made that the, that the manufacturing of the electric car actually leads to way more environmental negative impacts, and even the batteries themselves. I don't think batteries can be recycled. It's like that causes its own, you know, environmental damage as well. So you know, there's a there's a whole argument to be had. It's kind of like um, in the gap for now. Like we're sorting we're sorting the fuel issue, but we're not. Like we're now going to be faced with a battery issue in twenty years, but who, who knows? I'm definitely not qualified enough to speak about the subject. Yeah, yeah. No, honestly, Laura, honestly, thank you so much for for sharing your story, for sharing your thoughts, for sharing your wisdom. Um, you know, I've got huge amounts of kudos and respect to um, anyone who's taken that leap and um, is in a place where they get to do what they love every single day and do it with family as well, which I think is just so beautiful. And uh, obviously going through what you've gone through and still be able to kind of, you know, wake up every single day and just smash it. It's just so, so cool. So thank you so much to you for joining us. And uh, yeah, we look forward to it. Well, actually um, for those who want to find you or find your company, where can they, where can they look? So we are on Instagram at Ashley Nichols, which is N-I-C-K-E-L-L-S. Um, I'm Lara Nichols on Instagram. Um, and that's about it. We don't do Twitter. Our uh, website is ashleynichols.com. Um, and yeah, that's about it from me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mo.